Are you confused about real food and what's healthy and good for the planet? Do you need the facts about local, organic, and sustainable food? Well, get ready to change the way you eat. Get ready for The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober, right here on Green Earth Radio. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Appropriate Omnivore on Green Earth Radio. We've got a great show for you today. Our guest is Dee McCaffrey of Process Free America. Plus, we continue fighting for foie gras month in our desserts. But first, let's go to our appetizers and find out what happened this week in the world of real food. Senator Dianne Feinstein is proposing a bill which would establish egg factory cages as a national standard that could never be challenged by state law or public votes. The Humane Farming Association and a number of animal rights organizations are protesting. Talk about a big step in the wrong direction. States have had laws passed, such as Proposition 2 here in California, that have allowed chickens to have more open conditions. Pastured chickens make for happier animals and far superior tasting eggs. A federal judge ruled on Friday that the Food and Drug Administration has done shockingly little in regards to the health issues regarding antibiotics in animal feed. Judge Theodore Katz in New York ordered the FDA to reconsider two petitions for restrictions on the process. The suit was filed by environmental and public health officials. The judge's ruling is a good start on one of the biggest problems regarding the meat we eat. This past week, the Public Library of Science published a study in its journal that says it's more accurate to measure waist size than BMI to determine whether someone is at risk for diabetes. BMIs don't distinguish the different types of fat, while waist size can determine visceral fat in the abdomen, which has the strongest link to diabetes. I'm pleased to see a study which brings to light the fact that there are different types of fat and not all fat is bad for you. The Walt Disney Company has announced new nutritional guidelines for advertisements on its TV networks, radio stations, and websites geared toward children. Current advertisers such as Capri Sun and Kraft Lunchables, along with candies, sugared cereals, and fast food restaurants, will no longer be able to have their commercials run. It's not every day that a company as large as Disney makes a move as bold as this. Let's hope other companies soon follow suit. And finally, as the appropriate omnivore, my detractors constantly bring up how animals can feel pain. While I don't bring up the possibility that plants can feel pain, Tel Aviv University researcher Daniel Kamovitz has done so with his new book entitled What a Plant Knows. In it, he claims that plants can see, smell, and feel. He says they can also mount a defense when under attack and warn its neighbors about such attack. And now for our main course, which today is Processed Foods. I've talked on the show before about how I don't believe cholesterol is the cause of such things as heart disease, stroke, diabetes, and our high mortality rate in the U.S. What I do believe is the reason we're so unhealthy is that it's due to processed foods. First, there are things outside of our diet, such as lack of exercise, not getting enough sleep, and stress. But as far as what we eat, I see processed foods in this, as a major cause of all the illnesses in this country. Processed food is certainly a broad term. It can refer to processed meats, meaning factory farms where animals are living in cramped conditions, fed things they shouldn't eat, and be administered with hormones and antibiotics. Processed can also refer to several ingredients that are found in so many of our foods today. 
These are things we've been eating lots of in recent time. I'm mainly referring to refined sugar, white flour, and vegetable oils. I've read much stronger evidence linking sugar and white flour to heart disease than than cholesterol being linked to heart disease. These processed items lack nutritional value and rob nutrients from your body, making it hard to digest them. Here to talk with me about processed foods is Dee McCaffrey, author of the books Dee's Mighty Cookbook, Plan D, The Amazing Anti-Diet, and the upcoming book, Science of Skinny. She also founded an organization called Processed Free America, so she'll certainly tell us what her definition of processed is. Dee, it's great to have you here. Thank you, Aaron. Great to be here. Yes, it's it's great. I'm glad you've kind of taken out time out to, uh, to appear on the show because certainly I know you got a lot going with uh, your upcoming book, which I believe is going to be released July 1st. Yes, it is. And we are getting excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, absolutely. I mean, it's certainly exciting time because I've read your last book, uh, Plan D, The Amazing Anti-Diet. And I mean, it's a wonderful book and certainly, certainly in it you talk about a lot of points, you know, that I've been bringing up on my show and also um, you know, a lot of... Uh, of other authors and organizations that I admire. So it's, I think it's wonderful what you're doing both with your books and with your organization. Yes, and I, I would like to define for the listeners what my definition of processed foods is and what Processed Free America is all about. Um, my definition is that a food that has been taken out of its natural form and then either, you know, stripped of its nutrients or made into something else um, would definitely be a processed food. Um, and then, of course, there are when you take a, a natural food such as uh, something like chicken and then add hormones to it or add um, flavor enhancers, add sugar, and add a lot of different things and make it into something that looks good to, uh, you know, children or to adults. So, the thing that comes to my mind is like chicken nuggets. Um, that's definitely a processed food. And most people may not even think of it in that way, but um, it, it isn't uh, as natural as, as the real deal is. Um, another thing that I, another um, just easy definition that I can give people is that, uh, you know, an apple is a, is a whole food unprocessed and a fruit roll-up is a processed food. And as is uh, something like uh, a baked potato would be considered in its more natural state, a French fry would be processed because it's cooked in an oil that has been processed. So those are those are some easy definitions. And um, you know what we strive to do with Processed Free America is to teach people the difference between uh, what a processed food is and what a whole natural food is. And um, and we do that through classes. We uh, we have trained instructors that teach children at boys and girls clubs, um, easy, you know, age appropriate nutrition classes. And we also teach adults. Um, we do one on one nutrition counseling as part of uh, our outreach with people. And we do a lot of um, things on our website. We offer uh, on our website, which is processedfreeamerica.org. We have things such as a message board forum where people can connect with each other and ask questions. We have weekly podcasts where we talk about health news and different studies that come out that have been linking processed foods to diseases. And then we also have topics on you know healthy whole foods that have been linked to improving health. And uh, and we just we have our our podcasts are seven minutes each, and so they're in quick bites of really good valuable information for people to listen to. 
and we also have a uh, you know the books are available there and uh uh, we have a petition too that we we have been collecting signatures for that we are we're petitioning the FDA to ban some of the most egregious food additives that are um, used regularly in foods that have definite scientific link to health issues, anything from migraines and and weight gain to cancer. So we're you know we are uh, we have a, a pretty big mission as far as what we're trying to do, but. Um, we think that um, it's it's something that is definitely needed in in these times. I uh, you know it's been it's it's coming to um, a head. I guess sometimes is what I say is you know the obesity epidemic is the worst that it's ever been. It's supposed to be getting better, but it isn't. And something you know we need to everyone needs to do a part to um, to help improve the quality of the food that we're eating. Right. Now, when you say about um, the chicken nuggets, I guess maybe it's because I've just read so many of uh, books and learned about like in The Omnivore's Dilemma about what's in chicken nuggets that um, I certainly don't think of that as real food. I I can easily see it as a processed food, but I guess I can see how by the name, I mean, it's chicken. Maybe people don't realize that it's it's a lot of it is, is not chicken. So that's perhaps maybe kind of, I think, so some of the gap between regular America and you know, what, what people like us uh, understand about foods. So now how um, did you get into all of this in, in the first place? Oh, that's, that's a great question, and it's a great story, actually. I, I spent, from the time I was a young girl, uh, about age nine, I started to gain weight. And uh, as I got, oh, I always say I was a chubby child. When I look at the pictures, I can see I was chubby from um, the time of nine to about eleven. And then as I went into my uh, preteen and teen years, I was tubby. I just kept gaining weight, so I was getting more overweight. And um, by the time I was eighteen, nineteen, I was weighing close to two hundred pounds. And I'm, I'm a four foot ten petite person. I'm, you know, I mean, a hundred, having a hundred pounds extra on my body is obese. So, um, by the time I was a teenager and, you know, going into my twenties, I was obese and I struggled with my weight. I did a lot of dieting during my twenties. And, um, and of course, I always say every time I dieted, I was able to lose some weight, but then the weight came back and brought friends. And um, and that's you know that was basically the story of of my attempt to uh, lose weight and and I know it's a story that is shared by many other people that you lose weight and then you gain it back and you lose it and you gain it back and that's that's called the yo-yo syndrome and by the time I was getting into my early thirties all I could do was yo and you know, I could only go up in my weight and I had a very difficult time losing it after a while and and then I kind of even got to the point where I was you know, going to give up. I just thought, well, maybe I'm just supposed to be fat. Maybe that's my lot in life, and maybe I should just stop trying. Um, but there was a, a little voice in me that would not allow me to uh, accept that because I knew that being overweight was not healthy, and I couldn't accept that I was destined to be unhealthy for the rest of my life. And so I kept my, um, you know, my... I, my mind opened to thinking about what, you know, what am I going to do? What's going to be next? 
And interestingly enough, during you know right around that time, I was in I was sort of a late bloomer for college because I didn't start till I was 26. So I was getting close to the end of my college education. And in college, I was studying environmental science and chemistry. And I was my my main goal was to get a degree in environmental chemistry and then be an environmentalist and somehow go out into the world to help clean it up. Um, but I had one day I, you know, while working in the lab, I had a couple of epiphanies. It was sort of an, a, a process that I went through. One was I was starting to notice that a lot of the chemicals that I was using in my job at the lab, um, I was um, noticing those same chemicals in the ingredient list of a lot of the processed foods that I was eating at that time. And I, you know, I was a I was a junk food junkie at the time. I mean, you don't get to be 100 pounds overweight, um, you know, overnight. I mean, that was it was a lifetime of doing that, of eating that way. And so, but I started to have this understanding that there was a lot of chemicals in uh, in the processed foods that were also be, had multiple uses, you know, not just as food additives or food preservatives, but they were also used as degreasers and as um, stabilizers and emulsifiers and things that would... Um, you know, lend some type of a property to a food product. And it just really started to um, concern me. I started to really think about this. And, and this was 20 years ago. This was in 19, or, you know, actually a little more than 20 years ago. It was around the late 1980s, early 1990s that um, I started having these awarenesses. And then, um, and then, of course, also, you know, working, I, I was I was fortunate while I was in college, I was able to have a job as an intern working in an environmental testing laboratory, and that was where I was getting all of these interesting understandings. And then just the sheer, you know, understand realizing the sheer number of pollutants that are in the environment. Um, the, uh, you know, my job was to test water, soil, and air samples for environmental pollutants, and the, the list of pollutants that I was looking for was just, it was mind-boggling to me that we had, there were so many, and they, they were called priority pollutants. They were, you know, just commonly used in, in either um, agriculture or they, they were, you know, used in industry, you know, solvents and um, things like that. And so we're just, it was just stunning to me how many chemicals were in our environment. And... Um, so I started to get really disturbed in, in inner, you know, just in inner conflict because I knew that uh, I was eating a lot of processed foods and it just, you know, it was like it got to the point where I realized I cannot continue on like this. I have a weight problem I've never been able to manage. And perhaps it's maybe due to not just, uh, you know, it's not just a calorie problem, which is definitely part of it, but there was something about the chemicals that I knew were having an effect on the body chemistry. There was like an imbalance going on, and I probably would never overcome unless I uh, cleaned that up, you know, just in the same way that um, in my job, you know, what my main goal was was to report what was in the, you know, samples that I was getting in back to the, the companies that were bringing those samples to us so that they could clean up their sites and, and I thought, I need to clean up my own environment, you know, my body. And um, the first thing I did was I just started with getting rid of, you know, the two, the, at, at that time, the two most common and, um, for me, the most troublesome things, which were white sugar and white flour. Uh, those were 
the two things that I not only did I eat too much of, but uh, in a you know in a very there was a very strong addiction that I had to those types of foods. Um, and later I did, I did discover that, um, and and we now know you know this was 20 years ago that I was having these understandings, but today we now know there's been a lot of scientific research that has come out that shows that uh, you know sugar has has the same type of uh, effect on our brain that heroin does. And it, it um, yeah, it has, <laughs> there have been studies that have shown that it, you know, it, it goes into the same receptors that um, heroin does to give us this really wonderful feeling. You know, we do definitely get a sugar high when we eat refined sugar. And, um, and it's because it's so processed. I mean, that's, you know, that's the thing. The, the same thing doesn't necessarily happen in our bodies when we eat something like a piece of fruit where we have the sugars that are in there are in, you know, they're balanced by other antioxidants and minerals and vitamins that help, the, you know, they work differently in the body as opposed to something that's very isolated, like a, a sugar molecule that is taken out of its natural state. Um, one of the things that I found really fascinating about sugar was that, you know, and pretty much almost all addictive drugs are... You know, they, they start out as something natural, but then they go through uh, refinement processes where they're, you know, they're stripped of, of all of their nutrients and then they end up being either a white crystal or a white powder. And, you know, and one of the most famous examples of that is opium. You, you start with a, a poppy um, and then you, you know, you basically extract out just something, you know, the, the more potent part of it. And then, uh, you know, several... Um, processes down the way, you get, you get, you start with a poppy, you get opium, and then you get heroin. And you know, heroin is one of the most addicting drugs. Um, but it originally started out as a as a, a plant that didn't have as powerful of a of a effect. And um, and that that molecule of heroin does not exist in the form that it does in the drug as it does in the plant. And it's this, basically the same way in refined sugar. The the molecule of sucrose doesn't exist in the in this isolated form in a natural sugar cane as it does when it's been all refined down into that little white crystal. And so it has very different effects on the body. Yes, and in your book you talk about, certainly about um, sugar in its natural state, the whole sugar cane, how you recommend that, as well as um, a number of other natural sweeteners that we can use in cooking and give some recipes for those. So... Can you explain to the listeners a little about some alternatives to the refined sugar? Sure. Well, uh, the one thing that I um, that I did talk about in my book, which was a fascinating thing for me to learn even, was about the natural whole sugar cane and that um, when you press the juice out of it, if you drink the juice just straight, that it really, you know, the, the concentration of, sh- of sucrose, which is the sugar part of the juice, is only about 15%, and the rest of it is water, and then it's brimming with vitamins such as uh, B vitamins and even vitamin C, and then it has a lot of minerals in it, and calcium is one of the most abundant minerals in, um, in sugarcane. And so if you take the, the natural juice and drink it, it can actually be a nourishing juice. It's almost like, um, you know, since sugarcane is a plant that is um, from the grass family, it is um, similar to drinking wheatgrass juice in terms of its potency for health. And, um, and so if you take that sugarcane juice and drink it, it, you can do it that way. Um, 
but if you just let it dry, uh, a, a lot of a lot one of the most um, natural ways of taking sugarcane juice and turning it into what we call a natural raw form of sugar is to just take the juice and uh, dry it, not by boiling, which is which is how they do it to make refined sugar, but to just let it um, evaporate over a very low heat while it is being stirred. And then it, when it dries, it's got a very coarse, dark brown crystal that contains most of those minerals um, that are in and most of the vitamins that are in the juice itself. Um, it does lose some, obviously, uh, but it has a much higher concentration than any other form of sugar that's out there. And um, not only that, what's, what's really nice about that, uh, this natural form of raw sugar is that it also contains the antioxidants that are in sugarcane, which are called polyphenols. And polyphenols actually help to lower the, what we call the glycemic effect on our blood. So, you know, glycemic means how fast your blood sugar rises when you eat a food. So what the polyphenols do is they actually act as uh, almost like they help it become more time-released so that when you consume it, you don't get a rush of uh, sugar going into your bloodstream, that it, it actually slows down the absorption. And so you have a, a much better form of sugar when you're eating it. And where, where you can, what this type of sugar is called, it actually, it's actually sold under two different names. One name is just, it's just called organic raw whole cane sugar. And it's a very, very dark brown coarse crystal. And then another name that people may find it under is called sucanat which is spelled S-U-C-A-N-A-T, which is basically just a brand name for sugarcane natural. And it's just sold under from by two different companies, so they call it two different things, but it's basically the same type of sugar. And that is the healthiest form of sugar. Um, I, I do use that in some of my recipes. Um, I'm a person who tries to stay away from sugar. Uh, you know, I, I only eat it occasionally. I don't eat it every day. Um, and but when I do eat it, that's the kind that I use. And you can use because it is an actual real form of sugar. It can be used one for one in recipes because it has the same sweetness. And what I have found is that when I use that type of sugar to make muffins with, or cookies, or brownies, or things like that, that I use it for, um, the the end products do not have the same type of um, over. I guess I would say over addictive qualities that those same types of foods would have if, if white sugar was used in them. So um, I find it the best type of sugar to use if, if people are looking for that. There are, uh, there are also some other natural sweeteners. And when, when I'm looking for a natural sweetener, the, the criteria that I use is how much of the nutrients are still retained from the natural source. You know, just like with the sugar that I use, I want a sugar that still has a lot of the nutrients that were in the original sugar cane. And so when I'm looking at another type of sweetener, I want to use that same criteria. So another one that I use is raw honey. And, and it's it's got to be raw honey, not pasteurized honey or what we call um, filtered or processed honey. Um, when honey is raw, it, it has a lot of enzymes in it and it has a lot of vitamins and minerals in it. And, and antioxidants. In fact, there have been some recent studies that have been done in the last few years that um, have been shown that uh, raw honey can actually help improve cancers. 
um, because of the antioxidants that are in it, it has a, an, an ability to prevent the formation of cancer. So it, you know, it's, it's a whole natural food and the sugars that are in it, same type of thing. They're, they are more slowly absorbed into the body and because they're balanced by nutrients and antioxidants, they, they do not affect our bodies in the same way that refined types of sugars do. Um, one more sweetener that I, I wanted to mention too, it's, it's a fairly new kid on the block, I call it. Um, it's called coconut nectar. And it has a similar type of um, consistency to honey or syrup. Um, and it comes not from the coconut plant itself, but from the little blossoms that grow on the trees, um, the coconut palm trees. So sometimes you'll see it called coconut nectar, and sometimes it's called um, coconut, or, or I'm sorry, date uh, palm nectar, uh, coconut palm nectar. Um, but it, too, is a raw. It is un, unpasteurized, and it has a lot of enzymes, a lot of minerals, vitamins, and even proteins. It has a lot of ana, uh, amino acids in it. So, And it, too, has a, what we call a low glycemic index. So just to give, give the listeners a comparison, refined white sugar has a glycemic index of about 64, which is, you know, out of 100, um, 64 is you know, a little bit higher than halfway to how fast it um, absorbs into the bloodstream. Things like the the raw organic sugar and the uh, coconut nectar have a glycemic index of about 35, anywhere from 30 to 35, so about half of what refined white sugar has. So these are considered also healthy for um, people with diabetes. Now, the coconut nectar, is that the same as the organic coconut palm sugar, or is that a different product? Actually, it, it's derived from the nectar. The, the the sugar is basically the dehydrated version of the nectar. Oh, okay. Cause so they just uh, they just allow it to uh, dry over low heat, similar to how the sugar is dried, and then um, and then it becomes crystals. Right, because I know that wholesome sweeteners. That's a new thing that they're promoting is their organic uh, coconut palm sugar. Um, wholesome sweeteners. They're the ones who make sucanat and. At the Natural Products Expo, where, where the two of us originally uh, met to uh, fill the listeners in, that was actually, uh, I remember stopping by a Wholesome Sweeteners booth and telling them that I, I like their sucanat, and then they had recommended, um, they'd given me a sample of their, their organic coconut palm sugar to try. So that's certainly, um, yeah. certainly a new one. Yeah, that, Wholesome, they are a good, they, they have, they're a good company that um, does produce a lot of really nice natural sweeteners. And organic, too, which is, you know, that's another important piece for, for a lot of things. Right. And so certainly I like that you talk, focus a lot on sugar because sugar is something that, as, as a shopper where, I mean, I read like every label to find out what it is because there have been some products that I've been surprised that they have sugar and I've understood why they need it. So what are some of the ones that you like to warn people about that have sugar and that people might not think they do? Oh, that's that's a great question. You know, there's there's sugar in so many things, um, salad dressings, soups, even bread, and, and a lot of times, 100 percent, like whole wheat bread, oftentimes has sugar in it, and even deli meat. Um, deli meat, a lot of times, will have sugar in the form of dextrose, which is basically just sugar. Um, and so you have you, you know it le- it lurks in places that you wouldn't expect it. 
Um, one, one other thing I was going to say, you know, some manufacturers even inject like a sugar solution or a honey solution into the, the beef or the chicken just to, to preserve it. And, um, you know, and then it, I don't know if anyone else has had this experience, but sometimes when I eat out at restaurants, I notice that the chicken is sweet. It's got kind of a sweet taste to it, and I think that's really interesting there. There must be some kind of sugar, in, you know, that's been added to this. The deli meats, that's certainly a good thing to bring up as the show is the appropriate <laughs> omnivore, so certainly I think our listeners right. will especially <laughs> take heart to that one. And you know, especially to me, I mean that um, you know, meat is certainly a, a part of my diet and that I've been noticing that. And it is kind of a weird thing because I don't want my meat sweet, so it's a weird thing of – why it needs to add sugar, but certainly deli meats, almost all of them have sugar in, and that's a big problem. So I'm glad that you brought that one up, and certainly, yeah, yeah it's, certainly it's in soups and breads. Yeah, and in, and uh, like with the meats, um, it's mainly used as a preservative, and uh, and that's you know that's one of the reasons why it's in there. And you know, it's interesting. There there have been so many, uh, you know, documentaries and books and things that have been written about, you know, how the processed food industry, you know, adds all of these additives and sugar to everything. And, you know, prior to, I guess, you know, the 1970s even, you know, this was, we didn't have sugar in everything. Uh, and it, it just has been on the rise since the 1970s as uh, high fructose corn syrup became a cheaper uh, source of sweetener. And then all of a sudden it just ended up in everything. And it's and it's crazy. I, I go into the grocery store to, you know, and I don't buy anything without looking at the ingredient list anymore. That's just become a way of life for oh, me. Oh yeah, me too. And I cannot I cannot believe sometimes what things have. It's either sugar. It'll say beet sugar, and I just want to, you know, let the listeners know that beet sugar is the same as refined white sugar. They it goes through the same type of refinement process as white sugar does. It's just maybe a few less steps. Um, but you know that it's basically the same thing. It's not any more natural than than white sugar is. Um, but you, you'll see that, or you'll see high fructose corn syrup, or even just corn syrup. Um, you know, so there's some form of sugar in almost everything, uh, and unless you're really you know looking you know to eat more you know foods that are less processed, but you still have to be careful, even in the health food store. There are some foods that are, you know, somewhat processed. You know, to not. It doesn't mean that just because it's in a, a health food store that it's, at you know, a high quality healthy food. Um, so some, you know, you have to still be on your guard. <laughs> That's a very good point to bring up. Is that health food stores? There's a lot of things that, um, like you know, at the store Whole Foods. There's a lot of things that I would they could sell there that I would not consider Whole Foods because I mean I would not call refined sugar a whole food and I, I don't think I'd call white flour canola. I mean I don't I don't consider those whole foods. And so that is a good point that although a lot of the things there are better, I mean it's there are a lot of things there that I would not buy just because it's in those stores. I mean it's hard to think of stores that truly sell um, you know, what's almost like a hundred percent things that are good for you. I mean the closest I can think of, well I haven't been to the store, I've heard about this one called Three Stone Hearth in Berkeley that's uh, run by um, by some Weston A. Price Foundation members, including Jessica Prentice, who was the one that coined the term locavore. Um, that's mm-hmm. probably – that store is, you know, um, one of few right now. I mean, I know it's a, a goal of uh, the Weston A. Price Foundation to have a store like that in, in every city. Yeah, 
Oh, I would love that. Yeah. Me too. Um, I'm in the Phoenix area, and, you know, we are getting some good restaurants here. We have a lot of great chefs, and a lot of local produce and organic produce is used in some of the um, the higher-end restaurants here. Um, but we just we just need more of it. We need more options. We need you know we need affordability. Um, you know we just you know there's there's always room for expansion on that. And I used to run a, a meal business where I made everything uh, organic and and processed free, and um, and I had to charge a lot of money for it. Unfortunately, it was you know it was not for the masses. It was certainly for those who had the time or had the resources to do it. Um, and eventually, I couldn't couldn't keep doing it um but there's still a market for it i you know for you know people are always asking you know where can i you know what restaurants can i go to where can i get you know the type of healthy food that um that you talk about and so we we do need you know we have options but we need more <laughs> right how is phoenix we need as more, far more things in the stores <laughs> how how is phoenix as far as being like a green city and see for sustainable food you know, it's growing. Um, that, that's one of the good things. We have quite a few farmer markets in the area um, where we have local, uh, locally produced products and we have organic farmers that, um, you know, bring their wares. We have accessibility to um, hormone-free, grass-fed um, beef and poultry. Um, we have, you know, people bring in, um, you know, we have a raw, a raw milk dairy that's in the area um, that, they do, you know, they they will deliver to drop-off points throughout the whole Phoenix area if you order from them. Um, so we, you know, we are really, you know, we've and we have, um, you know, we have a lot a lot of restaurants that are, like I said, are using uh, local organic produce. And there's even a few um, restaurants that have gardens on site. Wow. Um, and these are some of the more high-end, like resort, you know, restaurants that are at resorts, but they have garden on site where they grow a lot of their own uh, produce and herbs. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then we do have, um, you know, a lot of community gardens that are sprouting up to get, you know, the community more access and more involved in being able to grow their own food. So it's, it's, it's growing here. It's really exciting it's- to see that. It sounds like certainly like it has, uh, you know, starting to get a big commitment to green. And in fact, one of our shows on Green Earth Radio is by someone in Phoenix, John Smith. He does the show Plunging into Green Radio. He's a green plumber. Mm, nice. <laughs> so if, if you're ever yeah. in the need for uh, for green plumber, we have that. And also, um, I know a restaurant company based out of Phoenix, which now has some ones in L.A., is La Grande Orange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we have, uh, we have True Food Kitchen here, which is uh, a creation of Dr. Andrew Weil, who's out of Tucson, um, and he's, uh, you know, he has, uh, the True Food Kitchen is uh, organic, a lot of vegetarian, um, you know, types of meals, and they, they even grow all their herbs in a in an old uh, clawfoot bathtub right in the lobby of the, <laughs> of the uh, restaurant. It's really nice. Right. Actually, we got a, about a year or two ago, we got a True Food Kitchen in L.A. too, and I think another one's opening. It's a great restaurant. I love their grass-fed buffalo beef burger. That was that was quite good. Yeah, they have every, – everything that I've had there has been really good. Yeah. Um, and actually, I, I realized that I didn't, I didn't uh, finish my story about my uh, – you know, about how I got into all of the – Oh, please continue. You know, the nutrition and, and – um, you know, after I had this epiphany while in college, 
and I eliminated white flour and white sugar from my diet, within 30 days I had lost 20 pounds. And, um, and that gave me encouragement and motivation to just keep going with it. And after a year, I had lost 100 pounds. And so I had lost all of the excess weight that I had been carrying for the good part of my life up until that point. And I was just turning 30 years old then. And this was 1992, 1992, from 92 to 93 was the year that I lost 100 pounds. And so um, ever since then, I never gained it back, um, you know, which, which was not the case from when I, you know, had struggled, you know, to, to keep, you know, to lose weight and keep it off. And um, once I had lost the weight, uh, I became so passionate about um, learning about food, learning about nutrition, and, and helping other people to be able to transform their health too, not not just with weight loss, but with whatever health challenge they had, you know, if it was arthritis, if it was high cholesterol level, if it was a blood pressure problem. Um, I've even I've even worked with people who have had cancer. Um, it you know, it it's just a matter of really learning about about food and what type of, you know, food is you know, what it has in it. You know, I I believe that um, you know our bodies were designed to eat real whole foods and, you know, and that includes, and, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not, um, I'm not a vegetarian. I'm not, I'm not a, you know, I, I, I really believe that vegetarianism is a health choice, but not necessarily a health requirement Agreed. Um, because Completely. I do believe that our bodies are, are designed to eat animal foods. And, you know, uh, you, you know, as, as well as probably, you know, some of the other um, people that are listening know that, you know, Weston Price traveled the world um, studying people following their traditional diets, and he didn't find a single one that did not eat some type of animal food. Um, and so it's it's been in in you know in our in our history as a as a as species for many many years, um, and for most of the time that we have been on the planet uh, on the planet as a species, we you know we have eaten foods in their most closest to natural form as possible. Um, and so, you know, so we know that those, you know, those types of foods are not the problem. It's, you know, the problem is what we've done to them. Um, and one of the things I always, you know, like to, to mention is that it wasn't until, you know, we thought we could, (laughs) we could make it better or make it last longer that we started, you know, getting into the types of health issues that we are facing today. And it's really been a very short amount of time. I, you know, I lost my weight. 20 years ago, and and I, I I marked I marked a 20 you know 20 years of sustained weight loss this uh, in April of this year, and I you know when I when I got to that day I, I realized wow it's been 20 years, and um, you know I should be shouting from the rooftops woohoo but I it was with a kind of a strange sense of sadness and irony that in that 20 years as I've been um, you know, learning more about health and about food and nutrition, that the rest of the country has just, it's just reached epidemic proportions of obesity in, in 20 years. And that's such a short amount of time to do such huge damage. Um, but I, I do believe that we can we can turn it around. I mean, just as, you know, in the turning point that I stood at 20 years ago is where America is standing at today. And, um, and that, you know, and that we, you know, all we need to do is return to the way that our, you know, I call them our not-so-distant ancestors. If we just return to the way they ate, 
we can we can restore our health. And that's you know, and I know it sounds easy and and um, simplistic, but and it isn't because we've gotten so far away from our uh, you know the way that our our natural uh, way of eating is. But you know, we can learn it, and all we need to do is immerse ourselves in knowing more about it, and you know, and doing it, um, taking it in steps. The, you know, kind of the way that I did. I, you know, first, you know, got rid of white flour, white sugar. Then I started getting rid of the additives. Then I started eating, you know, things without hormones and paying more attention to organic. And, you know, it was a, it was a process of learning, but it had a huge impact on me. And then I was able to help other people do it too, which is really, you know, that's the message that's in my books. Um, and my book, my, my new book, which is called The Science of Skinny, coming out um, basically July 1, but we can, you know, we're, we're selling it already on our website at processedfreeamerica.org, and um, we're, you know, we're, we're about ready to get our shipment of books in, so we'll be able to ship them out pretty quickly to those who order from our website. Um, it's, the book is, is a, it's an expose on processed foods. It is a life, but it's also a lifestyle guide on how to transition away from that. And I also include about 70 recipes in there. I'm also, you know, not only am I a person who has had the experience of having a, a health transformation, I've also gone, you know, I, I have this degree in environmental chemistry, but I also went back to school to become a nutritionist. And then um, I'm also, I always had a flair for cooking. And so um, all I, you know, I just started, you know, developing healthier recipes. I would take a lot of my old favorite comfort foods and uh, tweak them and modify them to make them healthier and using healthier types of sweeteners and healthier whole grains and and uh, finding flavors and spices that work well together that are easy. Because I'm not a formally trained chef, I'm, I don't go gourmet and I don't go uh, complicated, <laughs> I guess is one of the best ways to describe it. Um, I'm a home cook who likes to eat healthy. So I think, you know, and a lot of my recipes have been real uh, popular hits with um a lot of the people that I that I've taught classes to, and um, you know, and, and I have gotten the books that have shared with me some of their favorites, and so um, I think I think that people will find um, it a very a very accessible book. I take complicated food, you know, explanations, you know, nutritional science, and I break it down into easy to understand layman terms, and uh, and I you know I've had I've had. Um, you know, with my previous books, I've, I've just had a lot of really wonderful reader feedback saying that it was one of the, you know, most easy-to-understand scientific books I ever read, <laughs> um, which is, you know, which is affirming to me that um, that people are ready, that they really want this information, and that they, you know, they're really seeking to be more healthy. I love the recipes in the book because I'm very big on doing these recipes. I mean, I think that's part of the great thing about the real food diet, which I recommend on this show, is really anything that you used to eat, you can take and just make it different but not use these modern ingredients of white flour and refined sugar. So I love giving recipes like for sprouted spelt flour desserts and and breads, and that's a lot of fun. So now I also I love the title of the book, The Science of Skinny. So can you explain to the listeners a little what exactly is The Science of Skinny? Well, that's great. You know, the the science of skinny is really giving people an understanding of the how their body works. You know, what how how your body uses food, 
and the, and actually the inherent properties in the food because foods have a lot of antioxidants. They have they have um, vitamins, minerals, and um, properties that help to balance your body chemistry. And um, a lot of people don't understand that piece of it, and, and might even be scary to some people to even think that they would need to know that. But in order to really understand, you know, to, to eat healthy, a lot of people want to know why. Why why should I do this? Why should I why should I give up white sugar in in place of uh, you know putting putting a whole sugar in my body? What is what is the big deal about that? And so what the science of skinny is is teaching people about the, the chemical properties of food and how they react in the body and how it helps you to transform your health um, in an easy-to-understand way. Um, one of, one of my, um, I think one of the things that I enjoyed writing the most in the book was discussing oils um, because we, we don't have, we have, we have heard a lot of scientific terms in the media as it relates to fats and oils. You've, you know, we've heard the term saturated, unsaturated, um, free radical, trans fat, and we've heard all of these terms, and those are all chemistry terms. They're all scientific names for molecules, and and a lot of people just know the name and they don't really understand what it means, and um, they also don't understand why it's important to have all the different types of oils in their diet. And so, um, what I've what I did in the book was I devoted a chapter to um, helping people to understand the different types of oils. And and um, and how their how their uh, what their structures are like and how they work in their body and why it's important to have all of the different ones. For for instance, um, a saturated fat, which I know a lot of people are you know afraid of because we've all been told that we're not supposed to be eating. Oh them. yeah, I heard that. Um, Certainly yeah. misunderstood. Yeah. <laughs> Most people, it's a very it's a myth, um, which I hope more and more people understand that, you know, the saturated fats are not to be feared as they have been demonized for so long. Um, but a saturated fat is one that will not react with air. It's very stable because it has a molecular structure that is is so tight um, and uh, and doesn't have any any place on the molecule where it can react with air or heat or light. And so it can last for a very long time, which is one of the reasons why it lends great stability to uh, to food products and how we used to use um, coconut oil, palm oil, and butter as our um, oil to make baked goods in this country prior to the 1950s, 1960s. And, um, and it lends a long shelf life to things. Um, and when you cook with it, you can heat it to higher temperatures and it won't react with the air so it doesn't break down. So saturated fat is actually the one of the best oils to use in your food, and especially if you're going to be cooking anything on the stovetop or baking in the oven with it, because it's a stable oil that won't react and it doesn't form, um, you know, harmful uh, free radicals. So, and so then when you when you get a polyunsaturated oil, which is more fragile and um, highly reactive with air and heat, and you use that for cooking, you basically create free radicals in the oil, and when you eat those foods, you're introducing a lot of free radicals into your body. And you know, a free, I always tell people a free radical is not a hippie dude from the 60s. <laughs> it's, it's actually a very damaging molecule that is created when you heat a polyunsaturated oil to the point where it um, 
it loses one of its electrons, and basically what that means is that it, it has a gaping hole in it, and that hole is just wants to be filled. And so when you get the uh, oil into your body, so say, for instance, you cook French fries in an oil, um, you're creating free radicals in the oil that, that absorb into the French fries, and then you eat that French fry, and those free radicals get into the body, and because they're missing one of their electrons, all they want to do is get that electron back. And so they start stealing electrons from our healthy cells. And um, and then it creates more free radicals in the body, and it starts to deteriorate our cells. And that is what basically what sets up the process of aging. We have, you know, premature aging that can happen. You can get wrinkly skin, but these are some of the more common or minor effects of eating free radicals, but the more damaging one is that it, they actually start to create cancerous cells in the body. And if you have too many of those going on in your body, it also destroys your, it also creates bad cholesterol in your body. So um, so that's, this is one of the reasons, this is another reason how people can get um, some, like high levels of bad cholesterol is from eating processed cooking oils. Um, or oils that have been heated too high. So there's a lot, uh, a lot of information um, that people don't know about oils that they really need to know in order to improve their health. I, you know, I've had a lot of people who it's really hard for them. They don't understand why should I tell me why I should eat saturated fat and I shouldn't be using um, corn oil for my cooking oil. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's it's been so ingrained in people's minds for so long that they have a hard time believing anything else. Um, and so it needs to be explained to them, and that's, you know, another aspect of what the science of skinny is, is it's just explaining some of this complicated food science into something that, that they can really use and help for them to improve their health. Um, and one final thing I wanted to say is skinny. My definition of skinny is not... Um, it's not, you know, this idea of being um, super, super thin um, or even the little, you know, the little terms that we hear nowadays like skinny lattes and skinny jeans. To me, as I, as I lost the weight and I've learned to live in, in a lean, healthy body over the years, I've, I've come to really understand to me what the true meaning of it is and I've given it a new definition. My definition of skinny is optimal health. So... And I, in, in the introduction to my book, I, I tell the readers that, that, you know, this is the definition of what skinny is. And so when you see the word skinny throughout the book, this is what you need to be thinking of is optimal health. So it's really about the science of optimal health. How do you achieve optimal health through the, the food choices that you make? That's a great def uh, explanation that you gave about the saturated fats cooking in the oils and about cholesterol because in the 50s when we became more concerned about cholesterol, that was actually when the rise of these vegetable oils started. And But the thing was we all blamed it on, on the meat that we were eating and the, the animal products for cholesterol when that really hadn't changed the amount that we were eating. But what did change was the amount of these vegetable oils that, that we were consuming. And now, um, before we go, can you explain a little about how the Science of Skinny Eating Plan is different from other diet books out there? Yeah, well, first of all, the Science of Skinny, is it's not a diet. It's, uh, it's a realistic way of eating for life. And, um, and it, it's basically designed to help people eat foods in their more 
closest to natural form. And in the right balance, the um, there there are guidelines in the book for portion sizes and the different types of fats and oils and protein foods and whole grain foods and vegetables, of course. Vegetables are, um, in the book, they play, you know, I say they, they need to play a starring role on your plate because that, yeah, and, and I have, in my book, I have some, what I call the science of skinny laws, which one of them is that the amount of vegetables you eat is directly proportional to how much weight you will lose and how much health you will gain. And so, you know, it's really, a, the, the eating plan in the book is, um, is designed to be a way of life. And it's different from other books because it doesn't focus on um, eliminating a specific food group or counting calories or um, or even, you know, getting your, you know, ratios of fat, carbs, and protein and all of that right. Um, it's not that um, complicated, I guess is what I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it does is it wants to help people understand that they need to have variety and they need to have a good balance of all the different types of foods that are available, and um, and and that you know we shouldn't overdo it on any one food. Like, for instance, um, uh, a typical American diet, we eat too much bread in one day. Um, so I try, you know, like toast for breakfast, sandwich for lunch, and then you know uh, a roll for dinner or something. It's like to me that's too much wheat in one day. So I try to help people to see that. They could eat a variety of different things in one day. So let's say if you have toast for breakfast, then maybe for lunch you should have rice, and then for dinner you would have you could have a, another grain like you know perhaps maybe quinoa or um, you know a, a millet or something you know something that's different from wheat and bread, and to just give yourself the opportunity to experience a lot of different types of grains rather than relying on one different kind. Excellent. Well, it's been great to have you on the show. One last thing before we go, tell listeners where they can find your website for Process Free America. Yeah, you can just put it in a search engine. Um, you can either put in Processed Free America, and I'm sure it will come up, but the, uh, the URL address is um, processedfreeamerica.org, and Processed Free America is all one, one word. There are no dashes or anything in it. Um, and um, and also, I just wanted to let the listeners know, if there's anyone that's in the Phoenix area, we are having a book launch event party uh, on June the 30th at the Scottsdale Civic Center Library, and you can find out all the details on our website for that, and um, we're, we're really excited. We're going to have, I'm going to be doing a, a nutrition lecture. We're having a reception with some really wonderful, healthy local food that um, are from some of my recipes. And I'm also going to be doing a book signing, and we're going to have some people there who are going to be sharing their their testimonials of how their lives have been changed by um, eating processed free. And we're expecting a wonderful day there, so I hope some people can come out and join us. And we'll be sure to mention that event again as it gets closer on this show, so certainly any listeners in the Phoenix area can catch that. Dee, it's been great to have you on the show. We have to go now to our desserts. Thank you. And now, for our desserts, my recommendation on how to live appropriately for the upcoming week. Continuing with Fighting for Foie Gras Month, here's this week's foie gras pick. The West Side Japanese restaurant Shunji offers a foie gras soup. The soup contains shavings of poached foie gras, thin slices of yam, as well as winter, melon, grated yuzu, lily root, and taro. Also, as the ban on foie gras gets nearer to its final date... 
Fogger restaurants have been under attack by protesters. So the multi-course dinners have not been publicized as much, which is why I have been mentioning those as much on my show. So in order to find out about some of these Fogger restaurants, Specials at the restaurants, you're going to need to use code words such as Special Lobster or Duck Easy. And finally, one of my favorite grass-fed beef restaurants, The Short Order at the original Farmer's Market, is now offering lunch and late-night happy hour specials. These specials go from Monday through Friday from noon to 3 p.m. and after 10 p.m. During these times, you can order several combos of the dish known as the burger, which is topped with Hook's Cheddar Cheese homemade pickles, and a special sauce on shortcake bun. That's all for this week of The Appropriate Omnivore. To find out more about my news stories, my guests, and the events happening this week, visit my blog at appropriateomnivore.blogspot.com. I'll be off next week, but in two weeks I'll be back with Anne-Marie of the blog Cheese Slave to discuss fighting for foie gras.